This is the Roaring Elephant podcast. And as usual, I'm joined by my co-host Dave, whose, I would say, main responsibility for the podcast, at least, is to pull it back from the brink of disaster every single time. There was me thinking that you were going to call me your disastrous co-host, but uh, okay, that's... I would never. (laughs) (laughs) Or your recovering co-host, which would, I guess, also be... Uh, that's Too probably personal. more accurate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so with the the number of uh, puns uh, shuffled around here so far, you may have guessed that we're uh, we've got a news episode and uh, something piqued our interest. And this is a TechCrunch article talking about what is the single greatest idea Jan had ever heard about, and he agrees with it so hard that. Uh, He's delighted to uh, evangelize the concept. Uh, and that's that apparently disaster recovery can be an effective way to ease into the cloud. Okay, first of all, sarcasm is my stick on this podcast. <laughs> so find your own thing. Uh, but yeah, it's a news episode. This doesn't mean we do news articles, but we get inspired by a news article we read and then give our view on it. And as uh, Dave just mentioned, I can only wholeheartedly, with the fullest of my conviction, poor scorn, poor scorn <laughs> and derision on this article. Uh, and yeah, I mean, I mean where, where to start? Well, let's start on the positive. I mean, it's good that uh, articles exist out there to help people on their way towards cloud. Because as the article and everybody else, Correctly, yes, I'd say, think is true. People are moving to the cloud. You pretty much don't have an option to not go to the cloud anymore. You will get there somewhere or another. And there are some good gateway projects, use cases you can think of to go to the cloud. And having articles like this might be a good idea. The problem I have is the fact that they're using disaster recovery as this gateway project. And... Having worked uh, both on-premise and in the cloud and on the migration for myself and customers across all my different employment locations, I can pretty much guarantee you that the most complicated, the most difficult, and the most business-critical projects you can think of when moving to the cloud is disaster recovery. So using that as a gateway project to get to learn what this cloud thing can do is horrible, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, I... I was trying to think of something worse and you could potentially sort of say that, oh, well, just moving your production systems to, to cloud is worse than that. But I'm not actually sure that that's true because one of the one of the things about disaster recovery is that, yes, you, you can and you should test your, your DR solution. Uh, on a regular basis, but most people don't, most organizations don't do full kind of DR failover testing. There are some that do definitely, uh, and they, they fail over their entire architecture and infrastructure to a DR solution, but most people like their backups. They'll, you know, restore a handful of files. Oh, that, that works fine. Therefore my backups are all good. And it's the same for many organizations with DR. They'll go, oh, well, you know, we'll, we'll test a, a handful of applications or a few bits of our infrastructure. Oh, they work fine. Great. Like the amount of 
complexity involved in failing something over completely like this is monstrous. And you're, if you're using this as a gateway into cloud, like you're literally changing every single paradigm of everything yeah. you do to the cloud variant of it. Like I, I can't, I can't honestly think of a worst piece of advice right now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're right about the backup being. Everybody, everybody makes backups. Nobody tests the verifies or the restores, which is basically what you should be verifying that you, if your backup succeeded, but you can restore stuff. Now, there is some hope there. I mean, there's this little thing happening right now that's actually forcing people to test their backups more often, uh, ransomware. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, apart from, away from that, yeah, I mean, doing a disaster recovery is an all or nothing thing. You say you can maybe not do everything, but typically you'll take the critical part of the things that must always stay up and running, and that's where you put your disaster recovery upon. But it has no sense to put your disaster recovery on the internal email server if that really doesn't have any effect on your bottom line. I mean, disaster recovery is expensive, basically. That's something to remember always. Backups are maybe not cheap, but reasonably doable, high availability. Okay, fairly doable. Most functionality, most technology has it built in these days, if you kind of, uh, with, with newer technologies. But disaster recovery is always the most expensive step. So the moment you take that step, you do want to do it correctly, right, and trustworthy. You want to make sure that it actually yeah. works, that you can rely upon it, because if you can't rely on it, I mean, I've, always, I've had a number of customers that are thinking, I don't need high availability if I have a disaster recovery solution. Uh, no, guys, it's high availability, backups, and then you start thinking about disaster recovery, not the other way around, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's definitely a, it's a tiered approach in the same way that how you select, you know, what you use, uh, what, you know, what applications you apply those tiers to should be considered like, you know, people often have, uh, you know, tier one applications or tier one infrastructure, tier two and tier three, where tier one is that business critical, you know, if this goes down, our entire business goes down the toilet, you know, tier two is, this is important, but, you know, we can have an outage of up to so many hours or days and tier three is, you know, we can live without this for a, a longer period of time. You know, it does need to eventually come back up, but it won't, it won't fundamentally crash our, our company's value overnight sort of thing and you know the many organizations have way more than just three tiers of that but like mm -hmm. that that's how people like should be thinking about these things it's, and whenever you're rolling out a new service you should always be thinking well where does this fit into my into my plan like yes backup should be a part of it does it need ha yes no does it need to be factored into our dr plan yes no if so like then how do you how do you make that thing sort of dr ready and like the other one of the other reasons why i i disagree with this article so much is that as i pointed out towards the beginning you're literally changing assuming you're moving from on prem solutions to cloud solutions and assuming you're consuming the the cloud native versions of whatever it is that you're moving to you're probably changing the entire paradigm of something that you've done so this isn't just about um kind of lift and shift oh i've got a a vm in in my sort of vmware on-prem environment i'll just go and create a 
let's say they're using AWS EC2 instance, install the same software, and away you go. Like this, the, the days of doing this as lift and shift, I hope, are mostly over. I think a lot of people realize now that that was, that was a, a dark time in the period of cloud when people were experimenting and not really realizing the way that cloud should, should or could be consumed. But the, the, the sort of, I think that's the idea almost that this is, um, sort of suggesting that, that people go is, is this lift and shift approach, because that's the only thing that would make any sense to suggest that this is a, a way to get to DR. Yeah, and I agree. I mean, this would be totally wrong. I mean, doing a lift and shift. I mean, a lot of people still do lift and shift. And I guess it can make sense if you're apply, if you're, application environment is very small, you only have a database. I've got a Postgres database mm. that's doing my CRM, my customer facing, whatever, and that's all I have that I have to keep up and running all the time or else I have a problem. Just putting a VM up there with Postgres might be a good way of doing that. And if you would even go to the SaaS version of a Postgres database, yeah. it's still a Postgres database. So that should still work. If you're looking at the MySQL environment, MySQL has its own multi-database orchestration thing to have eventually consistent uh, backup of disaster recovery situations. I guess that would still work, but you might just as well have a second server in your existing data center running that second Postgres server and be done with it as well, right? I mean, as long as your two databases or uh, servers are in two different availability zones in the data center, what's the added value of having it in the cloud? Because for a simple thing like a database, you can actually leverage your, uh, your active disaster recovery site at that point by just having more concurrent access possibility by just round dropping across the two. And if one drops off, okay, my concurrency will go down, but it's still up and available. For small things like this, which is just a single server, disaster recovery is not expensive and dual active is, in my opinion, I would suggest the way to go. The problem comes when you get to bigger environments, where we have databases, application servers, maybe Kubernetes environment connected with uh, uh, event buses and a whole complex thing going on. And if you have to make that highly available, uh, sorry, that disaster recovery, that can get expensive because at that point, if you are microservice already, you probably have some load balancing auto scaling built in on the single side. You don't need that disaster recovery active side to have bigger concurrency, so you don't have the advantage. And then, well, that's basically why the cloud is a good choice to go for disaster recovery. You can have it all shut down up until the point you need it. And as long as you have your data set synced across the two sides, all the compute can just be spun up at the moment, assuming the current the, the closed cloud provider has capacity for you because for certain sizes yeah. that can become a problem. <laughs> Check with your cloud provider. But that's a good way to do it. But then again, you need to be really sophisticated in the use of cloud to make sure to map your on-premise uh, Kafka queues with Azure Event Hubs. Kind of do the same thing in a kind of different way. And it's mm. all that that kind of stuff. You need to be aware what the, what the the effects are, the, the consequences are of changing underlying structures. It's, it's, yeah. a, it's, a, it's a disaster recovery with a disaster waiting to happen. <laughs> I, I mean, the other thing we've talked a little bit about the, the kind of the application side of things and that, that, that sort of paradigm shift going from on-prem to in cloud. But the other thing that's usually 
kind of fundamentally pretty different is the entire like where does your data live like most people that are that that are sort of looking at things on prem are not making massive use of uh, object storage for example most people that are doing um, things in a cloud native way are making massive use of object storage because it's a a, a cheaper and becoming you know reasonably performant enough for most people to to use in a lot of cases so again you're going through this process of well you know my on-prem solution looks like this my cloud, cloud solution looks completely different like an entire different storage architecture uh, yeah just feels like recipe for disaster <laughs> in this case yeah, yeah, but, but but the cloud providers have you covered, right? I mean, all of the big cloud providers, they have this hybrid cloud approach where you can just put part of their cloud in your data center. That solves all the problems, doesn't it? Mm, not anywhere that I've seen. Um, the 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 challenge there is that again, you're you're then that's not also not an easy route into cloud. <laughs> like you're you're then having to re-architect reinvent everything again for your on-prem before you even get to, to cloud Which and also arguably are... is a better way to do it i'd say i mean if you first yeah. cloudify what you have cool then you've learned how to use the cloud and have all your stuff running in a cloud environment and then do the disaster recovery in the cloud okay so if you see this as a two-step plan first move everything to cloud and then do disaster recovery in the cloud i'm totally behind it but the majority of the cloud providers' offerings, at least from from my uh, my exposure to them, which I, I haven't had a massive amount, but I've, I've had some exposure to uh, most of the offerings, they're on-prem sort of solutions that they can plug in. There's a hell of a lot of caveats there as to what technologies are supported, aren't supported, what sort of components exist on there and don't exist. There's a, to the point where most things look fundamentally different in that on-prem cloud environment versus the, the, the full public cloud deployment to the point where a lot of the, the conversations I've had with organizations that are experimenting with this have said that basically now they have three different infrastructures. They have their on-prem infrastructure, they have their on-prem cloud infrastructure and they have their public cloud infrastructure and all three of them you know have different compromises have different um kind of architectural decisions made due to the limitations in all three of those things so rather than kind of that the goal as always as i'm sure you can expect is to try and simplify things actually for them and again I've, i don't have a a huge sample size here i'm talking about less than probably 10 organizations but for almost all of them they actually ended up kind of more complicating the situation for them yeah it hardly ever solves a problem because most reasons for uh, organizations to go for that private public cloud deployment whatever you call it is the data protection, data locality kind of thing. If it's in my mm. data center, I'm sure I can be certain that it's going to be in my data center. But you're not, because you're going to be hooking into, for example, the backup functionality of that cloud provider who will store your backups somewhere. 
okay, you want that in your yeah. environment as well? Okay, fine. You can potentially, maybe, possibly figure that out. But the moment you want to call their support, and you will have to, because most of these on-prem deployments are closed boxes. They're black boxes of yeah. a piece of cloud provider stuff where you can put hardware underneath, but you're not looking inside the box. And if you need support for that, that's again where date locality, privacy issues uh, crop up. So it doesn't solve that problem at all. Another thing to be really worried about, I think, is that the marketing slides around this uh, these offerings are not always in sync with reality. And no, say it's not so. And even more than on other cloud vaporware kind of stuff. And I think that makes sense because basically all of the big cloud providers, they once need have to have a hybrid cloud story because one of them started it, so the other ones have to have it too. But none of them actually want to sell you that. They want your stuff mm. in the cloud because then you won't run away. And that's also why for me, there isn't a huge incentive for them to actually make it easy and seamless. I mean, look at the, the, I think the first step towards this was the Amazon Snowball. Where there wasn't anything with compute, mm. but you were able to have a piece of Amazon cloud storage sent to you to put your data upon to move it back to the cloud stuff. Huge marketing campaign. I think they have like 10 Snowballs in the whole world. Microsoft did the same thing. They had a appliance, I forget the name by now. And I've actually tried to use this once and it actually took longer to get that to move. I think it was like 500 terabytes or close to a petabyte of data. If you want to copy that over the internet, that's going to take, uh, well, bandwidth, time, time size calculated. It's going to be like a month or three months or something like that. <laughs> but actually moving it to the disk outlines was going to take longer because you had to ship the stuff to you from the US ship it back to the US, lands in the data center, needs to go to a whole lot of checksums, clearings, and whatever before they even will touch the thing. That's actually going to take half a year. <laughs> and this is uh, two years ago, so things might may have changed, so um, don't uh, pin me to this. But simply to illustrate, there were solutions they put in place because the world expected them to be there. They expected the cloud providers to offer things like hybrid cloud and sending my disk to you. But in reality, there was no real productive use for it. They were never yeah. intended to work well, I think. Yeah. No, I think that it makes it makes perfect sense. Like the the sort of the old phrase of uh, that you know got used a lot in in the the big data world is is kind of data has gravity, and I think the we've got away from talking about that a little bit as as things have evolved, but it's still very very true like the where where your data exists um draws everything towards it and dr by its very nature splits that gravity it shifts the the picture entirely it should you know get to the point where potentially you're completely replicating your data in some cases so the the concepts that people were thinking about of oh this will be this will be easy i'll just spin up a a bunch of instances and that'll that'll teach me how to smooth my way into into cloud and and get uh, get my dr up and running at the same time 
yeah, I just, I don't see this making any sense for anybody apart from if you had an existing DR solution that you were happy with, mm -hmm. well, quote unquote, happy with, as in it works, you use it today, you test it, etc., And you wanted to go through a cloud migration and you also wanted to change your DR solution as part of that. I can see this whole thing together being a part of the story. But then to me that doesn't that doesn't ease your way into cloud. That's just welcome to migrating to cloud. You're going to learn yeah. everything along the way and DR is just another part of that story. And probably the last part you'll implement. Yeah. Yeah. Because you'll do it on one side first and once that's all up and running Let's see how we can replicate on the other side. If you did it correctly, it should be reasonably easy. And that's when you look at the disaster recovery. Yeah. So I think one of the comments that you had when we when we just before we started recording were talking about this was actually your suggestion on what what people should do <laughs> if they were looking at uh, if wanting to ease into into cloud and sort of try and get familiar with it. Do you want to share that? Yeah, I was just going to ask you that question, so you kind of, uh, yeah, put me on the spot now. <laughs> I think that time I said before the recording started to go with the database, because the database is relatively simple. It's a single solitary thing. It's relatively easy to duplicate. It doesn't have message buses in between, although that could be part of it, of course. But I've actually, while we were talking about this, kind of reframed the idea in my head, because for me, be honest the best way to start working with the cloud is to start with something new where you mm. don't have any legacy don't have any technical debt just if you're a company and you don't have an online presence you don't have a web shop yet you're not doing an e-commerce you want to do some e-commerce well let's set that up in the cloud because it's a new thing you're you will have time to fail because you're inventing something new as a product so you will have a little more leeway it doesn't get to be done immediately correctly because it used to work and now it doesn't anymore. It's something new. So you have some more freedom there. And by setting up something new, you can choose new tools, new programming languages, new whatever, whatever's. And it gives you all the flexibility you need, the possibility to fail, retry and iterate, which is very important. And yeah. it will be a good way to learn to adopt a cloud. The thing, I'm not going to go into depth here, that's very important. There's also choosing the correct cloud for whatever you're going to be doing there. And that choice should be based on more than that single project. If the idea is that the rest also will have to move to that cloud. Yeah, so make sure yeah, you have yeah. a little bit of big picture idea there. But again, I would shift away from a database because still, if I move my database and now it doesn't work anymore, or it's slower or whatever, you get a lot of a lot of hardship uh, sent over you. It may be better to just wait for a new project that's still related to the rest of the business, obviously, but that mm. has a, a separate base, a separate core or whatever and use that as your first foreign cloud. And if possible, try and fix, uh, select something that's actually fit for a cloud thing, like an e-commerce website, perfect thing to run in the cloud for scalability, flexibility, stuff like that. Yeah, and in fact, I, th I think we've, we've covered this topic before, so I won't belabor it too much, but the, the ideal project is something that's important enough that it gets, you know, it gets visibility, it gets buy-in, it has, the right amount of people caring that this thing is even happening but it's not 
so critical that uh, you know if the project is delayed or if there's some kind of bumps along the road of it getting done, it's not going to drastically impact the business or the people working on the project or things like that. So, I I would say don't don't make your first project in cloud like just a science project that you know gets no, thrown away awesome. afterwards. Like that's just a, a waste of time. But also. Don't make it the number, uh, ideally at least, don't make it the number one critical thing that if this doesn't get done on time and on budget, the entire company is going to go down the toilet because that amount of pressure when you're learning something new is is very rarely um, a good thing. Yeah, totally agree. Well, totally agree. Jan For once. totally agreed with me. Magical. Well... And in that case, I think that's that's the note that we definitely uh, want to finish on. And that is all the time we have for today. You can support this podcast by becoming a Patreon and every contribution helps. We're on YouTube. You can like, subscribe, hit the notification bell and do all the YouTube things. Please go to www.roaringelephant.org for a link to our Patreon page and for more information about this podcast. You can follow us on Twitter using the at Roaring Elephant tag and send your feedback to podcast at roaringelephant.org. Until next time, my name is not a disaster yet, Dave. And my name is We Avoid a Disaster Yet Again, thanks to my co-host, Jon. And we look forward to talking to you next week. Goodbye. See you then.